Hey guys, and welcome to the new episode of Automated Seller Podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Amy Wies. Uh, Amy is a CEO and founder of Amazing at Home, which is the e-commerce consulting group. Amy is also well-known uh, person and Amazon guru in, in the industry. So I know, Amy, that you're helping thousands of brands uh, to launch private label product from validation, sourcing to, to actually the, the launch in the end and services such as copywriting and SEO. I know that you're also a speaker. That's actually how we met uh, at the conference in Tel Aviv. And I know that you're running uh, courses. So yeah, Amy, good to see you again. Uh, how are you? Great. Thank you for having me, Jacob. It's great to be here. Great to have you here again. And um, yeah, Emmy, I would love to start maybe with the first question before we kind of jump into what you are doing right now. Um, I would love to kind of understand a little bit what got you here. So if you could share with us a little bit of the journey with e-commerce, how did you start it? I know personally from, from, from when we met that you have a great history and it wouldn't really... I mean, it's very surprising that you end up where you are right now with the e-commerce thing. So yeah, Emmy, if you could share with us, that would be amazing. Yeah. You know, people always tell me that I should write a book <laughs> and <laughs> I, I mean, I have written a book, but, uh, but it's, it's e-commerce marketing 101. It's not, uh, it's not a memoir. Um, funnily enough, I actually had a conversation with ChatGPT this morning about writing a memoir. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Somehow I don't feel worthy of that or important enough. Um, yeah, so I uh, I was in the military. My background was military, actually. Um, I grew up super poor, was raised by a single mom. Um, and uh, I grew up in Wisconsin, in the U.S. here. And um, then when I was 17 years old, I moved away and um, to California and got a job working at Target there in Seaside, California. Um, I, my first, my very first job, I started working when I was like seven years old. I had a paper route. When I was nine years old, I babysat full time because I was really just trying to survive. You know, <laughs> we didn't have a lot of money. And so it was like, okay, you know, um, so I always dreamt of bigger things and I tried, I saw education as my way out. And so I was always like a straight A student and worked very hard in school. Um, but I didn't really have that mentorship that um, would have allowed me to get a college scholarship. I didn't know that I could just apply and that, you know, my SAT scores were high enough that I could have gotten a full ride scholarship. So I went into the workforce and I tried to work full time and go to college and um, and that was very hard. And, um, you know, I was working for this home health care agency and um, they didn't care when it was I was doing accounting work for them. And, you know, if I had to stay late at school, they didn't care if the books were due, the books were due. Right. And I get that now as a business owner. But back then it yeah. was very hard. and. Um, Anyway, so um, so I joined the Air Force, and um, I got to travel the world. I got, you know, I was in the Air Force for eighteen years, and um, and while I was in the Air Force, I was going to college, and that's where wow. we bring e-commerce into it. I was going to college. The Air Force has college campuses on all of their bases around the world, 
Um, and so I was going to University of Maryland and I was buying textbooks. I'll never forget. I was buying textbooks online and trying to save some money because I still had to pay for my own textbooks. And I saw this little button on Amazon that said, sell yours here. And that was in 2007. <laughs> and I started selling everything I could find on Amazon. I mean, whatever I had in my house, I didn't just sell my textbooks. I sold like my CDs. I, I yeah. sold whatever I had. And back then it was all merchant fulfilled. And um, so anyway, you know, I was in the military all that time. And, um, and then, you know, just flipping products on Amazon and eBay. I had my own Etsy store. Um, I was painting wine glasses. I'm a very artistic person and was painting wine glasses and, and beer steins and selling those on Etsy. And um, then in 2017, I had an idea for a product and I invented a product. And that is what brought me because that invention process was very hard. And so many people wanted to scam me. I oh, let yeah. that fuel me into wanting to share my story and wanting to figure it out and wanting to help other people. And that is how we're here today. I never expected to become a guru or <laughs> to have a marketing firm or have courses or host China trips or own a trade show in Mexico. I never expected any of that to happen. It just kind of like I plan to start a brand and help some people along the way. And the universe had other plans. And here we are, Jacob. Oh yeah, that, that's that's yeah, that's crazy story, and uh, it's super interesting that actually you're the second person here who used to work for military. Like recently, I I had a conversation with um, Eric, who is running the Amazon agency Elite Commerce Group. I know that he was a Marine, so that's that's very interesting. I think I see the trend here, <laughs> but like he was also having the the similar story that he actually kind of figured it out while working for military, and it seems like you also did, and that's just amazing because it seems like you really learn it by doing so first of all selling just everything you could see um to kind of survive and get some extra money and then launching your own product and how actually this product end up like do you still sell it or what was what was and what was it actually yeah so i invented a litter box cleaner for cats i have three cats oh wow and um I was just really, I suffer from chronic severe migraines, which means that I get migraine headaches 15 or more days a month. And that can oh, wow. really yeah. be very painful and awful. Um, so for me, my triggers are lights. They're my senses, lights, smells, some foods, um, sounds like loud noises, stuff like that. And unfortunately, um, the smell of the litter box was a horrible trigger for me. And we were cleaning the mm -hmm. litter boxes all the time. And, um, you know, it just wasn't getting rid of the odor. And so naturally me, like a, a lot of other cat, cat people, you know, I see this in my five-star reviews on Amazon all the time. Like, oh, I've tried everything. I've tried the automated litter boxes. I've tried the sifting litter boxes. They don't work. And that's exactly what my Amazon listing says. They don't work mm -hmm. because they don't, right? So yeah. I invented actually a new category. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night after like six months of sketching what I thought was were better litter mm -hmm. boxes and then realizing that um, that it was too similar. That design was too similar to something I had already tried that didn't work. Um, mm -hmm. And so I 
woke up at like two o'clock in the morning and I just had this like aha moment of, oh my gosh, the problem is the litter box. <laughs> it's never going yeah. to be solved. The odor issue, the cleaning issue. Now, I didn't know, Jacob, that I was solving the odor problem. I thought I was just solving, like I was just trying to make it easier to clean the litter box because I was, I was thinking, okay, clean it and the smell will go away, right? <laughs> Um, so I built this prototype. I went to Home Depot and I built this little rickety prototype and it worked really well. I could clean three litter boxes in under 60 seconds, like just dump them all into mm -hmm. this giant scoop and I, I could clean them really fast. Well, all of a sudden, like two weeks into using my prototype, I didn't smell anything anymore, like nothing. And I was like, how is that possible? I didn't even clean the litter box that day. Like it's dirty. Why is it not smelling? I invited mm -hmm. my friend over and I was like, you have dogs. You don't even like cats. I was like, if I'm nose blind, you'll tell me, right? Like come over to my house and see if you smell anything. <laughs> because, you know, like what, I, I don't yeah. know if I actually solved this problem. So my friend Paula comes over and she's standing in my laundry room with three dirty litter boxes in it my little laundry room with no windows nothing mm -hmm. and she was like that's amazing i smell nothing wow she's like i've yeah. never been in a cat a person's house who's i don't we're especially standing next to the litter boxes or in a room where all the litter boxes are where i don't smell this awful smell oh, yeah. right and so then i knew i mean i knew that i had something i didn't just make it easier to clean I eliminated the odor. I wasn't sure why. <laughs> I wasn't sure what I did that solved that problem, but I knew it was gone. And um, and so, you know, we did some more studies on that and we figured a lot of stuff out. But anyway. And, and that was just the prototype back then, right? You, you didn't sell it. You, you just created a prototype. You solved your own problem. And that's yes. how you figure, okay, this, this may actually be it. Yeah, and exactly. Because I had always had ideas, right? I was always one of those people that would sketch ideas and keep them in a book. And like, you know, I, I always joke about this, that Pinterest was my idea originally, mm -hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I didn't launch it. Right. So yeah, yeah. but that, that's the thing. I, ideas without the execution in the end are nothing. Right. I mean, uh, for me, for example, when I'm more for like a startup tech community, everyone is always afraid. Oh no, no. I, like someone says, oh yeah, I have the, an idea for the app and I'm like, what is it? And he or she is, oh, I can't tell you because you will see my, still my idea, but Ideas without the execution, this this is like nothing in the end, right? So till yeah. you have no prototype, like it's worthless. So I'm glad that you actually solved your uh, problem. You invented it. It worked out for you. Uh, your friend saw it. And now I really want to hear what you said about building it and then distributing. Because you mentioned on your journey to where you are right now, you, you face a lot of scams and to be fair, I haven't really talked about this before here on the podcast. I would, I would love to really go through this process of, of building it. Yeah, I would love to talk about that. Product development is my jam. Um, <laughs> and I, so here I had the prototype that I built was made out of hardware mesh and wood. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it's important when you're inventing something and I work with clients now, I tell them, I'm like, you know, even if you're not an engineer, who cares if you're making something, you know, if, if you're adding lights to a water bottle, go buy some lights and some tape and, or take apart a flashlight yeah. 
or whatever, you know, and just try it. I, even we, I had a client, we were, um, we were trying to come up with a really unique kids play set that was in a specific shape. And she came over mm -hmm. to my house and we went and we went out to like the Dollar Tree, which is like a, a dollar store, right? And we bought all this foam board and we cut all the foam board into the shapes of the little characters. And then like, cause it was kind of like a tree house. So we wanted like certain layers. And so, yeah, we could have hired a designer, but in the beginning, you're gonna pay that designer a lot of money and you might not even get the result that you want if yeah. you don't even know, you know, how wide should that tree house be? How tall should each layer be? How will that fence that you think is going to also turn into a ladder for the little characters to climb on, how will that actually work? So that's what we do, you know, we, and I call this in my program, I call this DIY prototyping. Uh, I do the same thing when I was going to um, bring a new type of sports bag to market. I literally sat there with some poster board and some tape and I got out my shoes. I was building a gym bag. So I was like, okay, I want the shoes to go here, I think. And I want the clothes to go here and I want the wet clothes to go under here. And I want this to be the detachable part. And so I don't need to sew it. I just need to know how wide does it need to be? How yeah. would this actually work? Where would the shoes go, right? So all I needed was some cardboard and some tape, you know? So that's what I did. I just, I built this prototype out of materials that I could find and I tested it out and it worked, right? Yeah. But then you run into this problem and all inventors run into this problem. Um, or even if you're already a brand owner and you're trying to make something new and you come up with an idea, you're like, okay, but how do I get my tape, <laughs> my tape and my paper and my little thing that I built over here, my paper airplane, how do I get it to the real thing? And, yeah. you know, I'm an educated woman. I have an MBA. I have two undergraduate business degrees. I have a degree in aerospace technology. I have a master of science degree in cybersecurity. I have, I'm looking on the wall. I have, like, I'm forgetting, <laughs> you know, I have an MBA. Who cares? that's not going to help me actually take my product and put it on the market. I knew I could launch it on Amazon because I had sold on Amazon all those years and I already had an account, but how do I get it from here to there? And that's where the scammers come in, right? Because yeah. you aren't sure what to do. Everybody sees the show Shark Tank or Dragon's Den in the UK, <laughs> you know, and, oh, we yeah. think, and I, I tried out for Shark Tank, Jacob. I thought, oh, really? That, yeah. In season 18, I didn't get picked up for the show, but I, I thought that that was the only path. I thought, mm -hmm. okay, well, I guess I just need help. You know, I need help turning my prototype into something. And whenever people need help, of course, there's going to be a lot of answers to that help, you know, and not all those answers are going to be legitimate answers. So that, that was my first step is how do I find help? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when I I'm did that, you know, when I, um, as far as the help went, right. So I, I needed somebody to take my design and turn it into like maybe a 3d print, so some kind of 3d CAD that I could, you know, 3d print. I went to first to my local small business association every, and this is my first piece of advice, every country around the world, including the U S has some kind of 
you know, business organization, some kind of like helpful organization. In the US, it's the SBA, the Small Business Association. You already, your tax dollars already pay for their services. So you can meet with experienced mentors there. And I trust me, I mentor at these places now. Um, so entrepreneurs get help from people like me for free. Um, so, you know, I went to organizations like this and I took my ideas and I got advice on how do you start an LLC and what should my business plan look like and all of that. And I just started putting it together. I put together my business plan. I got free advice from them. I got connections with other entrepreneurs. And then I started reaching out to design firms and all of the design firms that I reached out to, they wanted to build, they basically said, we're going to take your drawings and we're going to turn them into another drawing. And we need mm -hmm. $30,000 minimum to do that. And then I was like, okay, oh, wow. well then what? You have a new drawing that's going to work for 3D CAD. And then, then what do you do? Well, then, we, you know, we'll 3D print it and then we can build the molds. And our fee for that is another $25,000. And I was like, okay, wait, but I still don't have the molds and I've already given you $55,000. Uh, how much are the molds gonna be? Well, those will be about a minimum of $150,000. Okay, wait, I'm $200,000 right? in and I still don't even have a product? Like, wait, what? And every single design firm that I called, Jacob was like this, every single one was, this is in, in, insane. And, and you still don't know if your product will actually uh, work, right? You still don't have any feedback from from sell, from buyers. You, yep. you, yeah, it worked for you, but you don't know if people will buy it and you are like 20K in already, right? <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, you know, I- It's our 20, 200. Yeah, exactly. And I'm over here, you know, I now uh, am a board member in my state inventors group. And so I help a lot of inventors and they all get stuck here. They aren't sure they might have like a rickety prototype or whatever, but they're not sure what to do from there. And the reason so many ideas never get brought to market is because people don't know the path. So mm -hmm. I got frustrated by that. And I was like, if you're going to scam me, somebody who's gone through a lot in the military, I'm not easily intimidated. I'm an educated woman. If you're going to scam me and take advantage of me, I'm going to show you. And that's what I did. I was like, I am going to figure this out because brands bring products to market every single day and it can't be this hard. Yeah. And so I just got pissed off, Jacob. I got pissed off and I was like, guess what? I'm going to figure this out and watch out because when Amy Weiss figures this out, I'm going to share it with the world for free. <laughs> And I got an ambition oh, yeah. to help as many people as I could. And that is where, you know, how it got me to this. I cold called manufacturers. I built my own yeah. 3D printer. I did, I would like connect with local resources and get, you know, local universities, stuff like that, get help with my 3D CAD work. We turned it into a squadron project. So a lot of people from my military squadron actually helped. Um, we had a couple guys with like 3D printers at home. So we broke up the design into little parts and pieces and then we glued it together. Um, I cold called manufacturers and brought my prototype to them, local manufacturers, and just asked a bunch of questions. 
Um, a lot of them, you know, would like hang up on me because obviously I didn't know what I was doing, but I didn't care. I just mm -hmm. kept going. And so I'm actually glad that all these people tried to scam me <laughs> because it really fueled me. In a hard way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. And it really fueled me to help others and to bring my own product to market. And um, I just kept going. I kept going. Um, I got my, I found an intermediary that could get my molds made in China. So first we 3D printed it. We tested it again. I started talking with manufacturers. I found a design for manufacturer, a DFM. Mm -hmm. So somebody who would actually design my, my take my existing 3D CAD that I already tested, that I already knew worked, and then make sure that that was actually designed for manufacturing. And I'll never yeah. forget my designer reached out to me and he's like, okay, Amy, um, what draft do you want on, um, on the bottom of the sifter? And I was like, what's a draft? <laughs> like, I don't know what that means, you know? And he was like, oh, okay, sorry. The angles in the slots inside of the scooper part of your product. And I was like, I have to know what angle you want the slot at? Oh, wow. Like, that's insane, right? And then he asked me, he was like, you know, we had, it had handles. My original version had handles. And he had me come over and go through a book of textures. And he's like, what mm -hmm. texture do you want on your handles? And that just blew my mind. I was like, I didn't know you could, I don't, you just like print the thing out. Don't you just like pop it out of the mold? Like, what is, what do you mean textures? And he said, Amy, think of your car's dashboard. In your car, you have your handles in the car. You've got the top of the door. You've got the top of the dashboard. You have, you know, the front of the stereo. He's like, every single one of those pieces of plastic in your car has a different texture on it. And all of that is really well thought out. And if you pick up any plastic product, so everybody's listening right now, I want you to pick up a product around you and look at the texture of it. What is it, you know, is it kind of matte? Is it glossy? Does it have, you know, I'm looking at these Logitech speakers I have on my desk and, you know, around the speaker holes, like shiny. And on the backside, it's like a matte plastic. So I had to make all these decisions and I had to learn all about this. And then mm -hmm. um, I had a manufacturer of molds in China actually making the molds. Um, the molds cost me $42,000 and oh, wow. it's a rather large product. Later, going to China, I learned that I could have gotten those same molds myself for th around thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars. So, that's the if anyone is considering going to China or going to the place where you source from, that's the reason, guys. About thirty thousand yeah. dollars <laughs> for reason. That's um, that's nice safe. But 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 you are saying saying that all of those details they really matter, and when you actually go into manufacture in China, you really need to have the whole prototype and all of the kind of like require, I don't know how to name it, but like requirements of the products listed in order to them to build it, right? It's yes, not like you just have an idea to... and you contact the manufacturer and they will figure it out. You actually need to come to them with everything listed. Now, some manufacturers actually do, um, they have great R&D departments and they can help mm -hmm. you with some of this. But the danger okay. in that is that they could own part of your idea then. So if you don't yeah. hire independent contractors and work through some of your own idea first, and then, you know, it's fine to, for me, I finished the molds completely on my own. And then I found a manufacturer to take that tool 
So this product is actually made in the USA. I shipped the molds back from China and my manufacturer um, is in Dallas, Texas. Um, mm -hmm. So this, you know, that was the process because my product is rather large. So it didn't make sense to make it in China. Uh, but I do have many other products now in my brand that are made in China and, um, and, you know, products. I now have a trade show in Mexico. So I help people source from there. I just got back from India. I also just got back from training manufacturers in Jordan. Mm -hmm. So I've been around the world now sourcing and there's a lot of opportunities, but yes, to answer your question, if you're going to invent something from scratch, you have to think about you can follow the process. And what I teach is we DIY prototype. Once we know it works, then we hire an independent contractor as a designer to help us take our yeah. prototype. Once we know the size, the shape, the look, the feel, the mechanism that works, we know it works. Mm -hmm. Then we take that to a designer. Uh, you could hire one on Fiverr, whatever you want. It, it has to be, a, a you want it to be an independent contractor and you want to make sure that you own the idea. There's no, you know, and you'll have them sign an NDA, however you yeah, want Yeah, yeah, definitely. That. Yeah. And, and for, for the actual there, design, for, for, for the actual design, you, you mentioned something about the AutoCAD, right? This is the software or, or do you kind of, how does it work? Like the designer gives you like a 3D model of your product with the materials or how does it work exactly? Yeah. So um, you have to think about first, let's take a step back and talk about manufacturing processes, right? So in my case, my product was plastic injection molded. So I needed a 3D CAD, um, I think it was a SolidWorks uh, was the software that was used to create it, but I needed an STL file. Um, and that's mm -hmm. what gets imported in to make the mold for the product. Um, to actually cut into the mold and uh, into the steel to make the mold and all of that is is kind of uh, used that way. It's like a 3D file. Um, so yeah. first I 3D printed it to make sure that it worked and everything was good and it had the look and feel that I wanted. And then I used those files to send to the mold maker to get the molds made. Um, if your if your manufacturer is also your mold maker, which or they're outsourcing your mold making, those are the files that they will need. However, if you're creating a product like out of wood, or you're creating a product um, uh, that's cut and sew, like you're making a sports bag or you know something like that, um, those are completely different manufacturing processes. So mm -hmm. my advice to you would be to this is why you DIY prototypes so that you know, kind of you have an idea of, okay, this is the size, this is the shape, and this is the type of material that I want. You don't have to know the exact, you know, for me, I, yeah. I needed to know the exact polypropylene. So I use, mine is made out of polypropylene five. So I was literally going to the store, pulling products off the shelf and looking at the little triangle underneath going, what is, which polypropylene is this made out of, right? But that's what you'll need to know in the beginning. So you need to, Take your prototype and from there, once you know mm -hmm. that, you're like, okay, what are the different manufacturing processes I could use? Um, I'm working with a client right now. Um, she's making a box for um, a kitchen appliance. She's making a specialized storage container. And in the beginning, when she first started this process, we did the DIY prototyping and we looked at the size and shape that this particular box would need to be. And we thought about shipping, 
prices because shipping a solid plastic box would be very, very expensive. So we thought about all the different materials we could use and we ended up not even using a, uh, a plastic material. We ended up creating this out of more of a canvas material that would mm -hmm. work in um, this type of refrigeration appliance, right? Mm -hmm. So, so um, you always need to kind of think also about the optimization also for the package weight, because in the end, the lighter the product is basically the cheaper it will be to, to send yeah. it to even order it from China with the bigger amounts, right? Or and not, again, not it's, not even, China, but. it's not even about like, you got to get it designed for manufacturing, of course, if you're doing something that's like plastic injection molded, but you could skip that step altogether if let's say you're just, you then decide to create your your product out of a canvas material and now it's cut and sew, right? Then you can mm -hmm. go to a manufacturer that makes similar products, maybe that aren't yours, but makes similar products. And you don't need, you just need to know dimensions. You just need specs, right? And from Got there, it. the supplier can make a sample. So I don't always want people to think, oh my gosh, you know, if I want to do something completely from scratch, I've got to get a mold and I have to, you know, in China, every supplier calls everything a mold, <laughs> even though it's not <laughs> technically an injection mold, right? They'll call it a mold, even, you know, for the logo okay. being applied to your product, anything like that. So yes, first do the design, do the DIY prototyping, then um, think about the materials, the shape, how much your shipping is going to be, the customer experience when they use it, like, how do you want that to be? What would the mm -hmm. potential concerns be out of that material? What are the benefits, the drawbacks, all of that? And, um, and you don't have to know the exact material. You just have to, and what I have people do like with her, I had her buy similar products. Like they make similar products for the car, for the patio, for the, yeah. you know, whatever. And so she bought some of those and she started kind of deconstructing them. And I have another client that's making a travel bag. And that's what I had her do as well. I was like, buy every travel bag that has a feature that you like and start deconstructing it so that you can and figure build out it, you know, yeah. yeah, what size does yours need to be? Do you want zippers? Do you want flaps? Do you want straps? Like, what do you want? How do you want it to feel? And so of course on our next coaching call, she had this kind of, you know, mashed together thing of all. And she's like, Amy, just ignore the way it looks. I, I love like, it. <laughs> it's good. You know, it's fine. Yeah. You know, unlike, because Here's the mistake, Jacob. I've seen so many clients come to me when they're about to launch a product, they didn't think through all this stuff. They hired a designer, they didn't actually test if it would work, right? It looked good on paper, it looked good in the 3D mm -hmm. CAD, they had the whole thing designed, and then they get the sample and they've spent, what, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 by okay. then on patents, everything else. They get it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Here, I want to actually follow up because I have already three follow up yeah. questions yes. to okay. what you're I'm saying. But, um, <laughs> but actually, first thing, yeah, you just mentioned it. So patents, right? So at which point should you actually start doing it? Like, should you do it right away when you are considering considering inventing and building your own product, or should you maybe first build it, get it from China, start selling it, and then think about it? Like, in which point should you actually do it? Okay, so when it comes to patents, um, it is. I know that we can have a separate podcast just on this, but I just wanted to have it like as simple as possible. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not a lawyer. This is not legal advice. Uh, when it comes to patents, it's important to first you do your DIY prototyping because you can't even write up a patent. I mean, my patent attorney, I drove him crazy. Because 
I got, I started the patenting process way too early, like before I knew all of the aspects of my design. And then I would change something and patents are made of claims. So you're claiming that something is this big or this wide or this distance mm -hmm. from here or whatever. And so every time I would change something, I'd go back to my patent attorney and he's like, okay, can you just finish? Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or we overdevelop things because inventors okay. that we love, like, well, what if it could do this? Well, what if it could do this? You know, mm -hmm. minimum viable product people, minimum viable product, right? Yeah. Like make the, get the first version of the thing to market because mm -hmm. otherwise you'll iterate on it all day long. And I did the same thing. Luckily my designer shook me and was like, stop, mm -hmm. just get the first thing to market. And that was but, such But, but cool. in the end, what you say is like very important to, to do it first anyway, right? So it's yes. actually, you, you own it. So, and then the competitors won't copy that easily from you. Well, patents don't prevent copies. They only, mm -hmm. they only allow you to litigate against somebody who's infringing on you. So mm -hmm. it's important. And uh, originally you'll do a, so let's back up. So you want to make sure your prototype works and then it's best if you validate your idea. So what you can do after you make sure your prototype works, you can go set up an appointment with a patent, I recommend a patent agent instead of a patent attorney. A patent agent is trained the same way a patent attorney is, they just can't litigate. Well, you don't need to litigate in the beginning. You just need a good mm -hmm. patent written. So I work with patent agents for that. So I'll sit down with my patent agent and just have a conversation. Is this patentable? What's patentable about it? Can you do a patent search? Like all that kind of stuff. So that's the first conversation that I'll have. So I'll understand if it's even protectable. Um, okay. because why you want to have that conversation before going to market is if it's not protectable, you might be able to make a few small changes to make it protectable. And that could be the difference between your brand totally skyrocketing. And, you know, so let's say one inch or something in the design makes a huge difference and now it's protectable. Well, that's huge. Mm -hmm. You know, so you want to oh, yeah. have those conversations in the beginning when you're still like fine, you know, before you actually go through your design work to actually start manufacturing. Um, so that's what I would do. That's when I would do that. And then from there, you can um, validate the product. So you can create mock-ups, you can do private surveys. You can get, you can now with AI, you can create visualizations of a product and get feedback in under an hour of which product that, that's exactly basically my, my my next question was because i have two more so so one is basically about testing the idea right so this mm -hmm. is something that we'll be talking about and i will also tell you about the, the next question that i will have so maybe we can move the conversations towards it right so the first is testing definitely and the second is um buying it from the manufacturers and negotiations with manufacturers right so how much should you buy it from them uh, in order to sell it. And then of course, before you do that, you should validate your idea, kind of like in a software development, before you decide to build the product, you, you need to have feedback from potential clients. You need to know if people are actually going to buy it because of course, when you invent something, you're biased and in your head, it makes completely sense. But then in the end, when you face the real world, it's totally different and no one wants to buy it from you. So you started talking about the AI tools, and this is something that I really want to uh, also talk about with you since you're doing a lot of speeches right now around the world on 
AI tools in Amazon space. So yeah, Emmy, if you could actually um, talk a little bit more on this particular topic. So testing, validating, and prototyping it. Not, not prototyping, but like getting feedback from, from audience. Yeah, so it is very important that number one, you test the usability. So whether you have a really great sample from your supplier or you um, 3D printed, if it's a you know plastic injection molded product, you don't need to build the mold yet. You can 3D print it and test it out, make sure everything works well. Um, but if you just need feedback before you even go through all of the samples and everything else, you can utilize AI visualization tools. You can either take, let's say you have a, uh, you, you're making, making, you're adding lights to a water bottle. I use that example all the time, just cause it's easy, right? Um, you're adding lights to a water bottle. Why would you want to do that? Well, because everybody takes their water bottle everywhere. And maybe at night when I'm walking back to my car, that would actually be really nice for me to have lights, right? Or I'm running with my water bottle in the morning. You know, we, we would be great to have lights. Um, so before, you know, it would actually be pretty easy for me to take a stock image of a water bottle and to add and to take a stock image of some lights, whatever, and hire somebody on Fiverr or whatever to Photoshop that up, right? Or now with AI, I could use a tool, an AI, a generative AI visualization tool such as Midjourney um, or Adobe Firefly, and I could type in the prompt, um, water bottle with lights around the top, you know, rim or mm -hmm. something, you know, and, um, or light up water bottle, something like that. And so I get the concept. It doesn't have to be my design exactly, yeah. but if it's a different concept, you want to see, do people get it? And so you can get a mock-up of it that looks really real in a matter of seconds with generative AI. And then you can go onto a polling site or survey site like PicFu um, or like Product Pinion, PicFu and Product Pinion or Prolific. Those three are some of my favorites. And you can create a poll and ask 100 people. Now, the question that you ask is important. I want you to think about two important questions. The first one is you want to put your product up against some other ones. So maybe you have water bottle with lights. Maybe you have a water bottle with a handle, and maybe you have just a regular plain water bottle, right? Mm -hmm. And most of them, they're, they kind of have the same design overall, like maybe they're all blue or something, or they're all stainless mm -hmm. steel, right? Well, you want to ask the question, which one would you choose and why? And then the second most important question you can ask is how much would you pay for it? Because you don't just want to know which one would you choose. You want to know how much would they pay for it because you have to see your second question was about manufacturing. If they're not willing to pay a lot for it, then you may not, it might not be a viable product for you to move forward with. It, it might not have profit in the end, right? Even if people want to buy it, but they don't want to like get it for the certain price, which you could calculate profit on. I mean, if it's just more expensive to build mm -hmm. it, then it just doesn't make sense in the end to launch you know, it at all. You know how slime is so popular with kids, right? When my kids were younger, they were always playing with slime and making their own slime. And they were always stealing my containers to store their slime. And I thought, wow, mm -hmm. it would be so cool to build a like little tower with little clear containers 
that they could store their slime and maybe you have a light in there so that they could actually see what colors because they put glitter in it and stuff. And I was mm -hmm. like, wow, they'd be excited about their slime collection. I'd be excited because they stopped stealing my containers. So I thought this was great. <laughs> I even looked on Amazon and saw the research volume for this, these keywords that were related. That was great. Like I, mm -hmm. I looked on Google and saw their research volume. This is all part of the validation process, right? So I was like, man, this is great. The only thing I hadn't done yet was actually surveyed an audience. I even went to China and found great containers that I could use that for this design. Mm -hmm. um, and so I brought all these back and I, my final step before I could launch it was actually surveying the audience. So I had a party over at my house of my kids and my kids' friends and their moms, right? And one at a time, I brought in the kid and the mom and asked them. I had all these different containers and I had some slime on the table. And, you know, I had the fun containers that I had just gotten from the manufacturer. And I asked, I was like, okay, you know, which one would you choose for your slime? You know, like, just what do you want? You, you play around with it, right? And so the kids, I noticed they didn't care. They didn't care what the container was. They didn't really care. I had these cool little screw stackable containers. I mean, it, it looked like fun. Like they were really fun, you know, to play with, but the kids didn't care about the containers. Mm -hmm. They just wanted the slime. So when I asked them, which container would you choose? They just picked like the regular kitchen container. And then I asked the moms, I said, okay. So the idea is, you know, that, you know, this is the problem. Your kids always steal your slime, your containers for their slime and blah, 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 right? I was like, the idea is to have this really unique slime collection container that they could put all their stuff in. And I was like, so how much would you pay for that? And the mom said, uh, maybe like a dollar. Okay. <laughs> I ha it didn't matter that there was search volume. It didn't matter that people were looking for it. They were not willing yeah. to pay for what I needed. It just really, really shows that there's so much of different factors that in the end, uh, all combined together will, will tell you that, okay, this is a great product. This is a great idea. They will pay for it and so on. And then all, all, also, like if, if you go a little bit um, and re reverse engineer um, the thought process of the buyer, sometimes, for example, they are special products that... Uh, they are for children, but then who buy them? Parents, right? So you always need to kind of think differently that, okay, this is the product for children, but children will not buy it. Parents will buy it. So there's so many factors um, in the end. It, it's just crazy for me to to think about it. Uh, but that's great that you did this. And I, I, I can like even like just think about it. How many of the sellers are they? I mean, I wa watch those shows like the Shark Tank, right? And sometimes I was just thinking like, who are those idiots? Like how they can even think about that this will work, right? Like I've seen so many of the very bad examples and I was just really thinking like how they, they did they go there and even ask for it, right? So yeah, and this is such a simple thing to just ask audience, just ask simple people on the street, like, hey, would you would you buy it? Would you would you have it? How much would you pay and for that? And is, Jacob, I, I love so many that. people have already spent so much money by the time they get to that point. Yeah. That they're, and they that's just the thing. It's just ego stuff. problem that they they think in their head that this is the brilliant idea. And I've seen it actually on the show. Like they just think it's a great idea, but then I'm thinking, no, it's it's stupid. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, actually, I agree. In my course, I have a, a a validation thing in my course, and I I call it the Shark Tank test. So first, we make sure that you know <laughs> we've got the search volume, we have all the things, we can make money on it. We look at 
um, equal competitors and go, okay, you know, because every product has competition, whether you invented it or not. Even though I invented a litter box cleaner and there's no other of those, my, my competition is still litter boxes, scoops, and some of those things are 99 cents. So I had to make sure that I looked at prices across the board, how much would people pay for it, all of that. But it's what I do is I first make sure that we have all the data points right, but then we actually go through the Shark Tank test. You have to answer the question, why would a customer buy yours and not your competitions? And are yeah. you differentiating in a way that matters to the customer, right? So for me, it didn't matter that the slime was a cool container. The parents didn't care and the kids didn't care. My idea, yeah. Yeah, of course they want to keep their slime collection, but my I wasn't differentiating in a way that mattered to them. And that's what people find all the time. You know, I see this all the time with my clients. Like people will launch like a new toiletry bag. And the toiletry bag is something you buy like every 10, 15 years, you know? And so it's like, well, mine is premium leather yeah. and it's got a better zipper than any of the other toiletry bags. Well, you can't see a better zipper on Amazon main image and nobody's looking for, there's no search volume for toiletry bag thing. with yeah. a better zipper, right? So it's like, yeah. you have to differentiate in a way that matters. Maybe there's a search volume for toiletry bag with two side pockets or whatever, but you know, you, you really need to know, you need to spend the time to validate then go through actually like working with a manufacturer, getting it made, getting your samples done, all of that. You can do all of that validation work without spending a ton of money. You can get a patent done from a, from a patent agent for less than $1,000. I mean, there's no reason that you should be $30,000 in, you know, and totally. I cover this process step by step and I've helped tons of people do this. And <laughs> You shouldn't be stuck there. You shouldn't be stuck oh, in yeah. a position where you're launching something that isn't going to sell. Totally. So, Amy, let's assume that let, let's take the most optimistic case that, yes, you did all of the homework. You answered all of the Shark Tank questions. You checked the data. Everything is right. You may have, I mean, you have the profit if you really build it properly. So now um, you have the patent, you have the prototype, everything. You have actually the design. You go to the ma manufacturer, you found a manufacturer. And now you are actually going to order the container of your new product. Um, what's your experience with the prices? Because uh, I'll just give you the uh, my point. Um, we talked with many of the sellers and actually they told us about some tricks. Like we are kind of thinking about launching one product. And they told us, for example, the tricks that if you are actually negotiating the prices um, and amounts with the manufacturer, you can use some tricks like, hey, First, I need like just 5,000 of the units, but then I'll order like 50K of the units, but I'm just testing it right now. Like those kind of moves, right? Because obviously China wants to, not China, but like every manufacturer in the world, they want to sell you as much as possible of those things. So what kind of um, maybe tactics or, or of, of like tips would you give um, a new seller who is just ordering and, and, and he or she is in the end of the process? Okay. Well, first of all, um, we could also spend a whole hour on this and, you know, yeah, you totally. can come with me on one of my sourcing trips if you guys want to learn all of this and mm -hmm. I cover it in all my courses. But anyway, first things first, 
you never want to source from a supplier um, by giving them your design and asking them how much. You don't even know if they're a good partner. You don't even know if they're a factory or a trading company and you can't even have a contract with them. Wherever you're sourcing from, you need to understand the laws of that country or hire a lawyer in that country to help you. In China, you need to be very careful because there's a lot of innovation in China and there's also a ton of people who have the ability to take your idea, right? In the US, it's hard, you know, it's harder because it's not a manufacturing capital, right? But in China, it's very easy to get something manufactured. It's very easy for somebody to take your idea, including a supplier to sell against you. So I always teach people to source what I call a decoy. So you need to first vet your supplier. So if I'm gonna add lights to my water bottle, again, I'm going to find a supplier that already makes a water bottle with an electronic mm -hmm. component, right? Mm -hmm. Because now I have DIY prototype, I know what all my parts are, and I kind of know what my components are, I know what my sizing is, all that. So I'm gonna first find manufacturers of water bottles with electronic components. And I'm going to source something they already make. I'm gonna have a conversation okay, yeah. about something they already make that's similar to my product. Why so would just I to check it out, right? If, if they are do, building it properly. Well, not only that, but you wanna know, would they even work with you on that product, right? Okay. So you start talking to them about that stock product that they already make and you go, okay, well, how can I change this? You know, where are you currently exporting this to? How long have you been in business? You know, can I, can you show me around your factory? You know, blah, 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 right? And then, mm -hmm. oh, by the way, you know, um, tell me more about this product. What could I change? You know, if they start freaking out when you say, well, I would like to change, you know, could I change the top? Could I change the bottom? Could we change the type of, you know, the button that's right here? Could we change that over here? If they start freaking out about that, that's a red flag. They're not gonna be a good partner to develop a product with you, right? Oh, yeah. And then, so you ask all those questions and then you go, you know how much you could sell that product for as is, right? You can get the data on that. And so you also need to check, are they good communicators? Are they good at design? Are they good at manufacturing design, ODM, that kind of thing, OEM? Um, and you then want to ask them how much they would charge you for that product. When you said mm -hmm. small quantities, Jacob, it's normal for every single brand out there. What you do is you negotiate scale. Yeah. You see how much would a container of these cost me? How many of these fit in a container? How much would a container cost me at scale? Do I have a minimum seven X multiplier, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then it's normal to say, okay, well, our first order is a test order. That's, that's every yeah. single brand. It's not, no, no, even established brand that has a validated product is ordering 50,000 units to start with. Yeah. So don't feel bad about ordering a thousand to begin with. How they're going to know that you don't know what you're doing is because you didn't negotiate scale. You didn't talk yeah. to them about the container load and how much that would cost you first before you ordered the thousand. So you first start with a very, very large scale to see, and then you actually go to the yeah, test you order. Say, okay, well, how many of these fit in a container? And then that's the thing is like, you know, the target price. So, you know, at scale, if you ordered a container of these water bottles with the button on them, right? Um, this is just as is, you yeah. know, okay, I could sell those for $30. I would like to not pay more than $3. I like to take a 10 X to start my negotiation. I'd like to not pay more than $3 from this manufacturer. I know what my target price is. 
Let me talk with them. Mm -hmm. Let me find out are they a good partner. So when they say that, then I can go, okay, you know, if they give me a price of, oh, it's $11 a unit. Well, then I know. I can't make that work. You know, I said, mm -hmm. well, the market price on these is whatever, you know, uh, my target price is much lower than that. For me to make this product work, I'd need to be here. I was like, I know you yeah. need to make money, but I also need to make money and our customers mm -hmm. need to be happy. So where can we meet? Right. And so you mm -hmm. start talking with them and you see, are they even willing to work with you on price? If you skip oh, all yeah. this stuff and you go direct to a manufacturer and you haven't vetted them, you don't know who they are, you haven't looked at their factory, you don't know anything about them, you haven't sourced a decoy, and you go, okay, here's my water bottle of lights, here's my designs. Oh, Come yeah. On. They're going to give you a this shit, This will be right? pain, pa painful, painful uh, disaster. Yes, <laughs> yes. And that's why you want to learn how to source like a pro, uh, because oh, it yeah. will save you so much money. And if you can help it, you want to go in person. Because meeting oh, yeah. the supplier. Exactly, I wanted to, to mention it, right? I mean, you are organizing right now a trip to China, right? And I feel yeah. like this is kind of great opportunity also just for people who want to learn more about it to just go directly and talk, talk to them in person. Because I just can't even imagine, like I've never been to China. It's hardly even to me imagine how is it there. And what, I will just write a bunch of emails there and I'll make it work. Like the internet there is even like different. It's It's like private, right? So... I can't even think about it, right? So yeah, I think this is great opportunity if, if you just go there with the whole idea with the sketches and everything. And maybe, is it like possible to like negotiate it on the spot to even like learn about it? It is, yeah. So, I mean, of course not everyone can go to China and I get that. Um, but I think, you know, and I did my first product without ever going and seeing the manufacturer. In fact, I didn't even look at my factory in Dallas, Texas until a year after my products were being made there. Um, I'm a little embarrassed about that now as the sourcing pro that I am now, but um, but that's okay. You know, I realize that everybody has their own journey. Um, so I can tell you that when you do start sourcing in person, you can still cross your T's and dot your I's remotely. You can still have video calls with suppliers. You can still build a relationship remotely. You can still, um, you know, follow every step in the plan to make sure that they sign an NNN agreement before you release any designs, that you've mm -hmm. vetted them, that you've done a factory audit, that you've checked their business license, you've done all the things to make sure that they're a good partner. You've developed the relationship, all that before you let them make a sample for you, right? You can do all of that remotely, but mm -hmm. when you go in person, it just changes things because in any country that I've been to, including China, even though China's really good with contract manufacturing and remote sourcing, um, the in-person relationship just changes everything. So, you know, we've had people come with us to China that had, you know, they've been ordering from that supplier for years remotely, and they went and visited the factory and they saved $90,000 on their next order. Like, <laughs> it just yeah. it changes things. And you... And there's something about going to factories and actually seeing how things are made. Things click in your brain and you're like, oh, I'm going to ask about that next time. Oh, I'm going to look for that. You don't even realize what you don't know. So I t always tell people, you know, even if you're coming with me to Mexico on a sourcing trip and we're walking through a factory, after that time of you walking through a factory with me and I'm telling you what to be looking at and what you should be focused on and, you know, all of that, once you've done that, then you, it doesn't matter where you source from everything will change for you. So going in mm -hmm. person one time will change everything for you sourcing from anywhere. Oh yeah. 
that's that's great that's that's great feedback actually also and, and tips here so again i i really feel like that was almost one hour of the consultation that you gave me and i learned so much that and i can only uh, say thank you emmy that was really like that was actually the longest episode i ever done but at the same time it was full of value so i know that everyone watching it uh got a lot really like especially in a beginner kind of an e-commerce as as i i am uh it, it changed everything for me because i literally pl planned to text the factories uh and, and and ask them hey okay this is kind of the product that i have and and i wanted to to like buy the test order and like this, this is completely wrong so really it, it opened my eyes and i know that um everyone who is watching and really is thinking about seriously um, inventing and like sourcing the first product, I think that all of your resources that are out there are are great. And I know that you also have those uh, courses and private coaching. So Emmy, where people can find you and how people can reach out to you. Yeah, so all of this stuff is covered in my courses step-by-step. Step. Um, and you can follow me on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, all the things my alias my name on all these platforms is amazing at home so um and my website if you'd like to reach out uh is amazing at home.com you can explore the courses you can access my entire course library for only 99 dollars. it's an insane amount of knowledge it's oh, yeah. an advanced level 60 hour graduate level course step by step concept to launch um, and I also have marketing courses, how to build your brand off of Amazon. I have retail courses, how to sell to brick and mortar retailers. Um, so you name it, I've got you covered there and we do tons of events awesome. and stuff there as well. Awesome. I'll make sure to include all of the links in the description as well. Uh, this will be live on YouTube. This will be live on Spotify and other streaming platforms. Uh, Spotify, uh, sorry, like the podcast streaming platforms. So Emmy, it was amazing. Um, thank you a lot. And yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye.